You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. I am your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns and the NBA for SB Nation as well as Dime Magazine. Follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns. Free agency continues. The Suns did not make a move today, but that does not slow us down here on the show. Going daily still. Do not worry Come here every single day, not just when the Suns do something, because that gives us some time to sit back and consider the roster, to think about what this team might look like and what is to come. So that's most of the agenda for today. I do want to start out with a couple of new targets, one via John Gambadoro, Paul Millsap, some connections there, a player that I really like for this team, and Marcus Aldridge, who Adrian Wojnarowski reported is considering a return to the NBA. So we'll talk about all of that first, but also get to three areas where I think the Suns will be better next season. And to close out the show, something a little bit similar to what I did yesterday with JaVale McGee. And I encourage you guys to check out that segment. But the other new addition to the Suns squad, of course, is Landry Shamit. So I want to talk a little bit about what I think he will add and why I continue to be pretty bullish on the signing and why, you know, this year really could be a bounce back for him. Um, I I know that might sound like I'm just making an excuse or I guess not an excuse, but uh, being blindly optimistic, but stick with me. I think I'll be able to convince you by the end. So that'll be how we close out the show. On that note, the show today is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Let's get to it. Paul Millsap, a player, again, that John Gambadoro of Arizona Sports connected to the Suns. In addition to Isaiah Hartenstein, who was with the Nuggets last season, has never really caught on in the NBA in a major role. Not that I don't think he can. I believe he's still relatively young. But I'm going to focus on Paul Millsap because... That is the player who I believe in far more. Now, you got to be realistic with expectations. And this is, you know, verging on day three of NBA free agency now complete as I'm talking to you guys. So the the pickings are a little bit slim. This is obviously, of course, for the Suns too, it would be a third center and, you know, potentially a third power forward. So not a player who you would expect to do a whole lot. But I do think that Millsap is one of the last remaining players on this roster who can legitimately make a difference, who could actually play and potentially play in the playoffs. We saw him do it last season against this very team. The Suns faced the Nuggets in the postseason, and Millsap made a pretty big difference, you know, in terms of consistency and aggressiveness and toughness. Now, did he get exposed a little bit on defense? Yes, you know, everybody on that team did, frankly. But at the end of the day, you know, last season, age 35 turned 36 in February, Millsap was able to go out there and play about 20 or so minutes a game and, and give you basically 10 and 5. And on an even in an even smaller role, like I think you would see that same type of per 36 production, but you don't need him to do quite as much. By the end of the season with Aaron Gordon in there and then some other injuries, the Nuggets were forced to play Millsap probably a little bit more than they would have liked to. So The main things you're getting are that toughness, that physicality, always been a pretty good rebounder, 
and obviously is a veteran who has not won a ring and probably sees that as a goal here. And so the Suns probably give you a better opportunity to do that than the Nuggets do. The Nuggets also went out and signed Jeff Green. So he is available. He is a player that gives the Suns a different dimension because of that physicality and toughness. And the versatility is the other part here. He can defend the four or the five. He has grown into a three-point shooter. He shot 44% in 2019-20, 34% last year. He's basically good to be, you know, in the mid-30s every season and takes a decent volume, you know, took three a game last season. So this is not, you know, the the fake 35%. And so he's a player that can probably, you know, capably fill either big man role. And the biggest part to me is that Millsap is a player who, is he a perfect solution for this? I don't think so, but he could at least be an option against some of the bigger wing or forward creators that the Suns figure to have to go through in the NBA playoffs, whether that is LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, tons of those types around, right? Aaron Gordon, his former teammate or, you know, his teammate last season. And so though all of those things are where I like him. I obviously, again, have to be honest that this is a player who is 36 years old, has has clearly, you know, lost a, a step and was never some sort of incredible athlete. So you're, you're not getting peak Paul Millsap. And even at his peak, he wasn't necessarily the perfect guy to throw at, at Giannis because hardly anyone is. But I think with the remainder of the mid-level exception or the the biannual exception, something above the minimum, but nothing too expensive, I think you could be getting a player who you could count on to play a role in the playoffs, fill some of what Torrey Craig was able to do for you, fill some of what Dario Saric was able to do for you as, again, a versatile combo big man who can space the floor, pass, and, and defend. That brings us to LaMarcus Aldridge, who does some of those things, but not quite all of them, and is obviously a different sort of option. So LaMarcus Aldridge for those who don't remember, is coming off of a season where he was finally let go by the Spurs after one, two, three, four, five and a half seasons and ended up in Brooklyn, part of the whole buyout, honestly, complete ridiculousness, frankly, just way overblown how much buyout guys were going to affect the NBA. But uh, we saw that with Andre Drummond. I actually think Aldridge was one of the better ones, but he was caught up with a heart murmur and apparently the worsening of a heart condition that he has dealt with for his entire career. And so he retired abruptly. I'm sure many of you remember, but some of you might not. So that's where LaMarcus Aldridge was. Woj reported today, Aldridge is looking at a return to the NBA. And for obvious reasons, I think Suns fans' ears perk up a little bit, right? Because he was apparently on the doorstep of of coming to the Valley back in 2015. We know the Tyson Chandler story. The Suns end up signing Chandler as a way to get Aldridge. He chooses the Spurs instead the Suns end up keeping Chandler and on and on. You know the story. But there was interest there. There was obviously mutual interest. I think the Suns were at least in the top three between returning to Portland, going to the Spurs, and coming here. And it could be that he sees this as a nice opportunity. Now, main difference between now and then, or a couple, one is he's a much older player, similar to Millsap. Aldridge is 36, so same exact age. And the other thing is, sort of similar to Millsap as well, Aldridge is effectively a center now, really not a guy you can count on to defend fours. Millsap, I think you trust a little bit more just since he's smaller, has always been a little bit more mobile. I think Aldridge is a good defender, you know, in his own way, 
at least at his peak, maybe not so much now, but less so of a defender than Millsap and less so than he was at his peak. So you're not bringing in LaMarcus Aldridge to anchor your defense, but fortunately you already have JaVale McGee to do that. And so between some of the fours that you already have and the fact that you have JaVale McGee, I think to me, Aldridge would sort of be less so of a Torrey Craig replacement because they're very clearly not similar players, but more so of a Frank Kaminsky and Dario Saric replacement. So the big thing about Aldridge lately is that he's finally been willing and able to step out and make threes. Past two seasons, he's been at 39% from deep on three-plus attempts per game. Very, very good. He's always been a mid-range guy, but has finally started taking those threes. He is still a pretty solid rebounder, pretty solid scorer, can always has always been able to make free throws even if he doesn't get there a ton. And then, of course, the mid-range game and the post-game are never really going to go away. He could do that when he's at the YMCA at age 50. So he would be a scorer. He would be a guy you bring in and, and in the regular season could just really create offense for you out of that second unit, similar to what we saw Sharich and Kaminsky do. And I think that has its own value, even if maybe by the time that the playoffs come around, he's really just a body, a, a rebounder, a you know presence as a big guy inside, but probably not a player you're going to put on the floor in the tight moments when you need to get stops in the playoffs. I still think there's value there. I'd probably have him below Millsap, but if you, again, he might just take a minimum at this point. He's made a ton of money in his career, just got bought out last season, so he's not necessarily looking for a payday. If he wants to come here on a minimum, if he wants to come here on a small contract, biannual or something, you have to take a look at that. I think it would make the team better. He's always seemed to be a pretty good character guy. And last thing is, he has a relationship with Monty Williams, and we know that that has played a factor. Relationships, not just to Monty, but up and down. If if you know somebody in this organization and they trust you to fit into it, then you're pretty good chance that you're going to get a look from them. So Gambo indicates the Suns are interested in Millsap. I like that. We know that there are connections here doubly with Monty. In fact, with the Spurs connection when Monty was there in the front office, but with James Jones and Monty Williams all the way back in the Portland days. So both guys, I think, will get a look and both guys would have a level of productivity and value here that I think can't go overlooked. Let's move on to Landry. Let's do Landry Shamit next because I think it flows right along here with how this roster is shaping up and what they've improved at. So we'll get into Shamit in just a second. First, though, a quick break. Time for one more quick word from Rock Auto, which is here to solve the endless issue of walking into a car dealership or a chain parts store and just being completely at their whim. We all know we have gotten completely screwed in that exact situation before, whether it's just not knowing what to ask for or knowing that you're paying way too much. Rock Auto solves all of those problems at rockauto.com. They have an easy-to-use website. They have cheap, consistently cheap prices, not based on whether you're ordering in bulk or you know the manager or you have a professional certification or any of those types of things. It's always the same, always low, and easy to find what you need. Just type in your car's name, scroll down through all the parts that they have, click on what you need, and it'll be at your door within days. It's that easy. It really, truly is that easy. I've used Rock Auto for an auto, for a sun visor, in addition to a protective seat cover for the driver's seat. 
they have it all. They have little stuff like that to more complicated thing like a brake part or motor oil or the actual engine maintenance that you might need to do. Rock Auto has you covered for all of it. Again, consistently low prices, easy to navigate website. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Let's talk about Landry Shamit, a player who I did a whole spiel on when they traded for him. That was obviously draft night. That was the big news. Suns didn't make a pick. Instead, trading the 29th selection and Javon Carter for Landry Shamit. And I was bullish then, and I'm probably even more bullish now. I just really like what Shamit is going to be able to bring to this team. And a lot of it, frankly, stems from what I liked about Shamit all the way back in the 2018 draft. I think that there is still untapped potential. I think he he sort of got into this situation where he was so highly coveted as a young guy because of his shooting, because of his playmaking, because of his length, that he he bounced around too much. He was so... um, you know, sought after that that ended up being bad for his development. In my opinion, we still have not seen a lot of the things that the NBA teams loved about him coming out of the draft back when the Sixers drafted him all those years ago. He ended up with the Clippers, looked decent in that one season when they were able to push the Golden State Warriors to six games in the first round. If you remember that team, that was post Chris Paul, post Blake Griffin, but still with it was the Tobias Harris to Nell Gallinari group, and and then obviously Shamit and Patrick Beverly and those guys filling in around them. And this that was a good group, and I think Shamit looked the best that season and hasn't really been able to reclaim that since. That was 2019, and he scored 11 points per game once he got traded to the Clippers in 25 games, had two assists, two almost two and a half assists per game, shot 45% from deep on six attempts per game. Again, only 20 five games there but then in the playoffs that season still you know getting up threes only shot 32 percent, so that's not perfect but was able to stay on the floor for that group and and looked pretty good I think that that's the type of productivity that you're hoping you get out of him when he gets to a better situation again one where he's actually trusted to play he was hardly in Brooklyn's rotation last year and where he's you know wanted frankly right like the Nets, once they switched things over, didn't necessarily have a need for Shamit. They they got off of it was the Luke Kennard deal, and it was it was it was admittedly quite strange. So in that way, it was the Bruce Brown. It was it was that whole shuffle where Bruce Brown went to the Nets, they got Shamit, that Kennard went to the Clippers, and everything else. They didn't need him. And, and by the end of the season with all the buyout guys that they had and, and Joe Harris playing so much and Mike James somehow making an appearance, everything set up for Shamit to be unwanted and unvalued. And I don't think you want to get too cute with that stuff, but I do think that it clearly matters. And the example that I want to give to everybody is Seth Curry. This is a comp that I brought up the other night when I was talking about the trade, but if you look at their numbers, it is remarkably similar. Very, very, very similar in that Seth Curry gets into the league in 2013, bounces around, ends up making a little bit of a pit stop in Phoenix. As some of you might remember, I hardly did, but there it was. Didn't really play much in the NBA whatsoever until he catches on with the Sacramento Kings in 2015. Does decently well. You know, that's not really a team that was necessarily trying to win, but he's able to get a shot. Then goes to Dallas. 
and finally is in a situation where he is, you know, able to play a lot of minutes, empowered, starting 42 games and makes 43% of his threes. Then the next season, 45% of his threes. You remember he was incredible in that playoff series in 2019, a playoff run in 2019 with the Trailblazers. He shot 40% from deep in 21 minutes per game with the Trailblazers in 2018-19. That's the year when they went to the conference finals. And then the real stuff starts. And and you'll remember these. He comes back to Dallas, 45.2% on five attempts per game. And then this year, Five attempts per game for the Philadelphia 76ers, 45% from deep again. So he's basically been 45% for the past five straight seasons once he finally was given an opportunity to play and to be a major part of of things. Shot 51% for the the Sixers in the playoffs this year, Seth Curry did. And of course, you know, lighting things up. Almost 20 points per game, multiple 30-point nights for for the Sixers in the playoffs, and was a more reliable offensive player than probably Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons. So I'm not saying Shamit will be that, but if you look at the career trajectory, 2016-17 is when Seth Curry finally blows up, and he's 26 years old at that point. This year, Landry Shamit will be 24 and is only just now potentially stepping into a situation where he will be desired. Again, it wasn't necessarily minutes. The Kings only gave Curry 16 minutes, Portland gave him 19 that season, and yet he's still able to produce. So I don't expect that Shamit is going to be a starter by any means. I actually think he played 23 minutes a game last year. I think it could be less this season, and I think he could still be more overall impactful. The shooting is a big part of that. I would not be surprised. He shot 42% from deep as a rookie on five attempts per game. I think we could see him get above 40 again for the Suns this year. We know the easy open looks that not only Chris Paul creates, but the gravity of Devin Booker, the gravity of DeAndre Ayton downhill, all of that stuff is going to let him feast. Just ask Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Campaign, all these guys who have had career years playing with those three pillars that the Suns have. I think Shamit will clearly benefit. The other part is, I think he fits really well with how they play. It's not just that he's going to get open shots and, and benefit and, and really just be you know, a three-point guy. The thing that makes me feel like he's so similar to Curry on top of just having that marksmanship from deep is that that Shamit really does have some, I don't want to say playmaking. I don't expect him to necessarily, you know, run, pick and roll or anything like that. What I do think is reasonable to expect is that he can handle the ball a little bit and not so much as a point guard type, but just as a mover, as a, as a, a connector that Mike... Mike, what did I, Annie Williams likes to, <laughs> I'm looking at uh, the names of the Wichita State rosters, and I saw the guy named Mike, but Monty usually refers to the connectors as bigs, that's just been what it, what, what the Suns have, have gotten, but I think Shamit can be thought of similarly, because he can give the ball up, move without it, resituate himself, create an open shot for himself by moving, and then make the shot when you know off of movement. He, he's he's capable of doing that. Some guys are just stand in one spot, catch the ball, and shoot. Shamit has much more movement shooting ability to his game than you might think. His second and third seasons in college, really the two main seasons, the first year he hardly played, he's at 3.3 assists and then 5.2 assists. So, you know, he's never gotten there in the NBA. I'm obviously not going to compare the level of competition 
to the NBA from the MVC or the AAC, but clearly shows that Shamit has more to his game when he does have the ball in his hands a little bit. So last year, he's basically solely playing off of superstars. Kyrie Irving's going to isolate. James Harden's going to isolate. You go stand in the corner, make the shots when they come. Very little creativity to Brooklyn's offense necessarily in terms of player and ball movement, and for good reason. That's how that team wins. The Suns win in different ways, and I think the ways that the Suns like to do things, especially on offense, is really going to benefit Shamit. You can imagine him running some of the same off-ball movement patterns and, and sets that, that Devin Booker is able to take advantage of. You could imagine some of the sets that Langston Galloway and Cam Johnson, you could imagine Shamit in that Spain pick and roll coming and, and flashing up to the top of the arc for an open shot. You can imagine uh, a second side, you know, pick and roll or attacking a closeout. I just think Shamit has finally found, it's no coincidence, when he played with that Clippers group that was very egalitarian, everybody, you know, com- com- contributing, everybody pitching in, doing their part, and everybody having to do that to win, the Suns play that way, even though they do have more star power. And I think that will really benefit Shamit. That was when we saw him at his best. I think that can come back. And I think it could happen as soon as this season. Now, the Suns' reward will be having to worry about his contract. That is a conversation for a different day. This season is probably the Suns' best chance to win a title. And having Shamit along for the ride in what I think will be a career year is going to be very, very big part of that chase. All right. Another couple of big parts of that chase I will go over in just a second. I'm going to give you three areas that I think the Suns can improve in from last season based on just the additions they've already made between Shamit, McGee, and frankly, Jalen Smith as well. Let's get into it in just a second. First, though, a word from betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Talked with our Locked On Cardinals host, Alex Clancy, today. We had a meeting and... Look, I'm pretty excited about the Cardinals, and you're seeing, just like I am, the reports out of training camp about A.J. Green. I'm not saying to bet the over on the Cardinals, but I'm not not saying that. I'm headed to Vegas this weekend for Summer League, so betting is on the mind. I want this Cardinal season to go well. I'm willing it into existence, and let me just tell you that it feels better to have a little bit of a stake in the game, and that is what Bet Online is great for. The latest news, sign-up bonuses, and contest info constantly updated, not just for the NFL, but for the MLB, NHL, fighting, golf, tennis, any sport that you love, you can find on BetOnline. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get into the game as teams prep for their pennant runs in the MLB. Get ready for the season in the NFL. The calendar never stops. So head to BetOnline.ag on the web or on their mobile app. Make an account. And when you make your first deposit, use the promo code locked on to get a 50% welcome bonus straight to your account. That's promo code locked on, 50% welcome bonus right in your hands. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Closing out the show with three areas that I think the Suns will be better in next season. And I might even throw in one that I don't think they will be quite as good in as well for good measure. But let's start on the positive. If you look at the season numbers here, in terms of the whole league, which I was doing frequently as the season went along, especially when the Suns were struggling at the beginning, just to kind of make the case, look, the Suns are better than you might think. Their numbers indicate they're great. They're just not figuring things out late in games. But I stopped looking, honestly, as the season 
finished up. And you go back, the Suns were sixth in offense and sixth in defense and third in net rating. It's hard to say they'll get much better anywhere. And I don't even necessarily mean when I say they'll be better somewhere that they'll be better in like the league rankings. But the first one is just defense. And the main reason is JaVale McGee, as well as I think what we can expect to be a deeper roster. Now, some of this is unknowable right now because we just don't necessarily can't predict who will be playing the minutes from top to bottom of the roster. But I think if you expect that, for one, McGee will be filling out in the backup bench, in the backup big man minutes defensively better than anybody that the Suns had last season. Now, we all know Dario Saric, the, the, the advanced metrics really loved when he was on the floor, the Suns tended to honestly, for most of the season, they were their defense even was pretty great when he was out there. And I think part of that's just fluky. I think that they just won the bench minutes so prominently that everything ended up looking good because they just controlled the, the game in, in those minutes. They, op- they often would have Chris Paul on the floor with Sharich, things like that. When you're making all your shots, the defense is going to be better because the other team can't score in transition. In this case, though, McGee will be bonafide good, like genuinely a difference maker when he is in the game. That's a very big luxury to have off of the bench. I mean, McGee was starting for the the, the Cavs last year at times, was starting for the Lakers in years past. This is a player who will very clearly be a bench player for the Suns. He knew that when he came here. And he'll be fresh. If he's playing 18 minutes and, and Aiton's playing 30, or, or, or McGee's playing 13 and Aiton's playing 35, you're going to get a guy giving full effort, as we talked about in yesterday's show, at all times for 15 minutes peak effort that's pretty incredible and I think it'll help their defense across all of the time the other part is you might say they're losing Torrey Craig but obviously Craig hardly played last season because he was only here for 32 games so if you just look at total minutes this is actually pretty interesting if you just look at total minutes it was pretty obviously well spread out not only because Craig got here and and took up some minutes once he was here but there were just so many injuries and COVID absences and Monty playing a deep roster, a deep rotation in the first place that nobody, only four guys were over 2000 minutes. And even Jay Crowder missed 12 games, which sounds almost impossible from memory, but it happened. And so Cameron Payne, barely over 1000 minutes, Dario Saric, 800. So what I'm saying is, you're missing Craig, and, and obviously he was a difference maker on defense and the wing defense there, hustle plays, offensive rebounding, all that stuff is is winning basketball and is going to make your defense better. However, if you condense some of those minutes and you get Cameron Johnson and Cameron Payne closer to 1,500, 2,000 minutes along with the starters, if you get McGee taking up all of the 715 Frank Kaminsky minutes and more, if you have, you know, Mikhail Bridges, who's going to continue to play a ton, playing, you know, that many consistently, I think that by way of the improvements that the, the young players made combined with better depth and more consistency in those backup spots, the, 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 from top to bottom, this roster is just going to be better. And, and I think that starts on the defensive end. Okay. Three-point frequency is another one. Now, you might be listening and saying, okay, well, McGee is not going to shoot threes, whereas Sharich and Kaminsky did, and I'll give you that. I do think there's going to be 
a little bit more, and that could help their rim their rim uh, frequency, which was going to be the one that I said I don't think they'll necessarily get better at. The Suns were 30th in rim frequency last year, so I think they could use a little bit more balance. But at the same time, they were 15th in offensive in in frequency on on threes as an offense. I think that will improve, and Shamit is part of that. Putting Shamit in the minutes where each one more was playing where Javon Carter was playing, I think you're going to have a more knockdown type of shooter on the floor for you in Shamit. And again, Johnson playing more, Payne playing more, those guys are going to shoot threes and be more comfortable than they were last season, and they're going to play more. So, you know, maybe a Kaminsky, you know, bizarro mid-range shot or each one more driving to the basket or just some of these things I think you're going to trade those shots for higher efficiency threes naturally. The Suns were also sixth in offensive accuracy from deep, seventh according to Cleaning the Glass, sixth according to Basketball Reference. So every indication says you should take more of those shots. They have the shooting to make them, and they added another shooter in Shamit, and they, they might not be done. Paul Millsap, would be, you know, obviously another shooter. LaMarcus Aldridge would be another shooter, just to name the two guys that I talked about at the beginning. So I think that they should and will take more threes. And lastly, maybe most importantly, Devin Booker showed us in the playoffs that he can take pull-up threes and make them in a way that he never had before. So if that continues, then you're also going to see those shots become a bigger part of his diet rather than quite so many mid-range shots. Not that I'm saying that he should not take those. We know that's how he gets into rhythm. It's how he's able to take advantage of the defense. But I think he'll be a little bit more reliant and trusting of that pull-up three next season as well. All of that means I think the Suns will go from, you know, middle of the pack to closer to the top 10 in terms of three-point efficiency. Now, the last one gets a little bit... um, (laughs) I I don't even necessarily think it, it was bad next season, but it's going to make a really big impact. And that is rebounding. It's many of the same reasons, but I do think it's worth mentioning. No Frank Kaminsky, who gave you very little as a rebounder. Again, he might be back on the team, so don't get me wrong, but I he, I don't I don't think he'll play. Remember, he started dozens of games and that will not happen this season. So you have that. Dario Saric, not a great rebounder. We know he's going to be out for most of the season, if not all of it. JaVale McGee is not a great rebounder, but is a good rebounder. Most importantly, though, DeAndre Ayton showed us in the bubble, I mean, sorry, in the playoffs, that he's a great rebounder when he is locked in. And I think seeing what his role can be, now do I expect him to play with the same amount of energy as a rebounder in the regular season as he did in like the finals? No, But remember, the Suns were 24th in offensive rebounding last season, 9th in defensive rebounding just by percentage, the total amount of misses that they got on either end of the floor. So defensive rebounding was good, but we know there were games that they lost because of that. It just wasn't consistent. So I think there will be more consistency having McGee on the roster, having Aiton locked in on that part of his game more. And I'm also obviously factoring in a little bit the idea that they'll get more depth at those spots, in addition to more of Jalen Smith. I think he's a great offensive rebounder. I think that's one of the best things that he does. 
when he's able to be around the rim. And obviously that's a balance you have to strike because we know he's also supposed to be a floor spacer. So he's going to have to figure that out. But if he does play this season and James Jones said he expects him to compete for a rotation spot, I think you're going to see that Jalen Smith helps that if they sign a Millsap or an Aldridge type, an Andre Iguodala, a Josh Hart, some of these top targets still on the board, all of those guys are good rebounders for their position. I think that the Suns will continue to prioritize that, but they've already made good strides, especially on the offensive glass. That should all be reason for better control of the possession game, more consistency night to night, less bizarro losses to bad teams like we saw them suffer sometimes, and all in all, a more consistent regular season team. So those are very big tent types of areas where the Suns, I'm saying, are going to improve, and I get that. Defense, three-point frequency, and rebounding, those aren't you know crazy creative areas, but they are part of the areas that, the, that, that make you liable to some variance in the regular season. Now, they were already the two seed, but that, that was solidified late in the season. It was very neck and neck. I think the Suns will push for the one seed next season, and I think these are the reasons why. They're going to be better in the areas of the game that you need to be good at to be consistent. They were not always that way during the season, and they're deeper, and they're a little more versatile in terms of different types of lineups, different options where they're not having to put out unqualified players quite as often as they did last season. As you can tell, I'm very bullish, but I think there's reason to be. We'll keep it rolling here all week long with more. Hopefully the Suns do start to fill out this roster and we'll see what happens. Also, some big announcements coming your way from our advertisers as well as for the show. So stay tuned for that to close out the week on Friday. Follow at Suns to keep up there as well. And I will talk to you all tomorrow.